Welcome to this conversation. My guest today is Brianne Forbes Hubbard, and Brianne is, oh, big title, Population Health Manager with the Mount Rogers Health District. Welcome, Brianne Forbes Hubbard, in charge of all of our health. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? How's your Thank health? You. Oh, it's about as good as we can hope for these days. Okay, <laughs> well, good. The same. Well, to uh, just set the parameters, let's get started. You're with Mount Rogers Health District. What exactly is Mount Rogers Health District? So it's uh, the best little chunk of Southwest Virginia, if I do say so myself. Um, but we cover eight localities in Southwest Virginia, including Bristol, Washington, Smith, with Bland, Grayson, Carroll, and Galax. So that's, that's a lot district. of territory. It is, yes. Well, the reason that I called you is twofold. One is that the latest information that I got from the information that you all distribute is that we need to talk about monkeypox. Yeah. But we also need to catch up on COVID and everything else that you think about when you think about our health. So let's get started with what's going on with monkeypox in Southwest Virginia. So we don't have too many cases of monkeypox so far in Southwest Virginia, thankfully. Um, we've had four cases as of yesterday in Southwest Virginia, and that includes um, when the state considers this as a region, they're kind of looking at um, Roanoke down. So in all of that area, there have only been four cases and there have been 145 so far in Virginia as of yesterday, the 8th. Well, you've just stunned me because I wasn't expecting to hear that we had any, but it still sounds like that we might not have any in the Mount Rogers Health District. So we can't go into details about health districts when there's so few cases because it could be identifying for individuals. Um, if you look at the Virginia Department of Health website on monkeypox right now in Northern Virginia, because they have so many cases, it's broken down by health district. But so far at this point, um, it's just broken down in health region because we have so many, uh, so few people and we don't want it to, to identify anybody. So, so at this if you point, said there's just, one person in Washington County, then people are going to be looking at each other suspiciously. Right. And that's how we do everything. You know, that's how we did COVID data at the beginning, lots of different health conditions. You'll see kind of an asterisk if there's too few cases to, to specify because it could be identifying. So if we get more cases in Southwest Virginia, we'll transition to something like that as well, where it's broken out by district. But right now we don't have enough cases to do that, which is good news. And we still assume, I do from what I've heard is that monkeypox is not fatal, but it's just a horrible thing to go through. What is monkeypox? What is it like? So monkeypox is a virus that's similar to smallpox, but like you said, it's not, um, not nearly as serious. There's a couple different strains of monkeypox and the one that's circulating around the world right now is the milder version of those, which is great news. Um, so the symptoms with this strand of monkeypox typically look like you feel like you have the flu for a couple days before a rash shows up. So when you feel like the flu, you know, fever, chills, headache, muscle ache, backache, tiredness, or swollen lymph nodes, um, and then, and then the rash can, pr will present as well. So what's different about this is that some people only have the rash. They don't have any other symptoms and the rash can look like things like pimples or blisters. So it's, um, it's like you said, it's quite painful. Um, some people that have had it, not for everyone, but for some people, it's quite painful. Um, there are a couple groups of folks that are at risk for more serious outcomes, um, children under eight, people who are pregnant, um, people with weakened immune systems. But if you're not one of those people, you know, you're probably not going to be at risk for severe illness. And you mentioned children, but 
the initial word about monkeypox was that it was spreading mainly among homosexual men. Yeah, so primarily, um, you know, anyone can get monkeypox. Primarily right now, we are seeing that it's being spread through um, through behavior, through unprotected sexual contact or through um, prolonged personal contact, up close and personal contact with someone who's infected. So that could mean that you're, um, you know, kissing or you're sharing uh, towels or you're, you know, if you're washing somebody's laundry who has monkeypox and you're not wearing protective gear and you come into contact with um, you know, something that's been in contact with those rashes, that's how it can spread as well. So people that are household contacts to someone who has monkeypox are at greater risk because it's, um, it's really about that close personal contact in the different forms it can take. You said doing somebody's laundry. I know that with AIDS, we, the concern was always bodily fluids. It seemed like it had to be much more intimate contact with bodily fluids, but that sounds like pretty easy if I touch somebody's clothing who has- Well, and what, but what we're really saying with that is um, laundry that's got bodily fluids on it. So if you've got somebody with, um, with these lesions or the blisters and their sheets have bodily fluids on it and you're washing those sheets, that's kind of the contact we're talking about, not just someone touched a piece of clothing and I touched it. It's about that, you know, kind of prolonged contact with something that has bodily fluids on it. So this is really a different transmission than um, what we typically think of as infectious diseases. You know, this isn't um, at this point in time, this isn't something that you're going to get from, from being out and about in public. It's, it's something you're going to get from that close personal contact, close physical contact with someone who's infected which again, right now we're primarily seeing is spread through sexual contact or intimate contact, but it doesn't have to be. Is monkeypox a virus that's new to us that we had not known about before, or have we known about it? We've known about it for several decades, um, but it's been it's been very rare before this. So it's something that that has been out there that has existed. But if you're not in a country where it's endemic you probably didn't know that it existed. And even in the countries where it was endemic, I, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't as common as, as some of these other diseases that we're all used to in our life that, you know, it wasn't something that was spreading before that um, so widely, but, but it was something that was known about. Yeah. It's not brand Sometimes new it seems like they're just new things coming at us every other day. Is that the case or are we just maybe heightened awareness and these things get more attention? Well, I think that um, it definitely can feel like that. I think that there's certainly after COVID-19, everybody's a little bit higher alert for things that could turn into a pandemic. So I think that this is getting a little more attention than maybe it would have in a different world um, where we hadn't just experienced COVID. Um, so I, there's what all of us in public health and healthcare are trying to do is take the lessons that we've learned to try and prevent this from, um, you know, spreading out of control. So spreading out of control is the definition of a pandemic and across national borders. Is monkeypox at that level or approaching that level? It is not. There have been, um, it has not been declared a pandemic at this point. You know, it's, um, it's something that is declared by the, you know, higher organizations um, that look at things like you said, um, at global spread, but at this point it's an outbreak. So what are we doing in Southwest Virginia to address the concern about monkeypox? So we want everybody to um, continue to 
to take precaution, if, especially if they're around someone that they think might be infected. Um, you know, don't touch another person. And, and a lot of this is just good, good guidance anyway. Don't touch another person, person's rash or scabs. Um, don't share eating utensils, cups, clothing, bedding, or towels with somebody that's infected. And really, please don't share cups with anyone. That's how we all get sick all the anyone time. Anyone ever. Don't I ever. I mean, just never. Just don't okay. share cups because you're going to get the colds or you're going to get flus or you're going to get a stomach bug. Just don't share cups. Um, you know, washing your hands. If you are going to be face-to-face for a long time with somebody that, that might have monkeypox, do wear a mask. Um, and if you have any symptoms you think might be monkeypox to call your provider. So it's really just kind of taking those, um, those regular precautions. Um, it's always, it's always important, um, for people to take precautions, um, in their, in their sexual activity to have, you know, safer sex precautions, but it's especially important right now to be really mindful of, um, not having unprotected sex and to be, um, you know, if you are going to have, um, partners that you don't know well, or more than one partner, just be really, really careful. Um, and, and, um, you know, anything that looks like it could be monkeypox, uh, avoid any, any close contact with that, um, that rash or that, um, situation. Brianne Forbes Hubbard, Mount Rogers Health District. She is our population health manager. Okay, Brianne, stand by for that tough question. How do you know what you're talking about? <laughs> well, we what have is your background. Let me, let me make that more, uh, more professional and tell us about your background and your qualifications for this position. So um, I have a master's in public health degree and I've been in this position for about four and a half years. So um, I've been really lucky to work with our great team at Mount Rogers and our especially, you know, great subject matter experts at the Virginia Department of Health, who all they do is focus on things like this. And they get a lot of good information out to us and um, make sure that we can share that good information out with the community. All right. Well, we're going to proceed and treat you as our expert, which (laughs) you certainly are more than... uh anybody else I know. So let's move on to COVID. What's the situation with COVID now? Used to be not so long ago, weeks ago, we would see updates everywhere, every day. And now it's like we hear nothing about what's going on with COVID in Southwest Virginia. Well, I think part of that is that there's a lot of COVID fatigue. People are sick of hearing about it. They're sick of talking about it. They're sick of, um, you know, restrictions around it. Part of it is that some of these restrictions um, are changing. Part of it is that some of the um, testing, that's a big part of what's changing is that the um, availability of home tests are, it's just so much more available to take a rapid test at home than it used to be. So we don't know everybody who's positive anymore because a lot of people just test at home and stay at home till they feel better, which is great. That's, you know, that's that's what we really want to stop um, disease transmission, but it means that the the data about cases just isn't um, as inclusive as it used to be, and isn't as important in decision making as it used to be because we know so many people are testing at home. So we do know that um, you know as of looking at the data, kind of doing a summary last week, that the cases look like they are going down a little bit. The ones that you know that get reported to us, our percent positivity is up a little bit. Um, but that again is a little bit skewed because if you are only getting uh, people testing when they are really sick coming to you, you know, you're missing all those people that are taking negative tests at home. They're not coming in for a PCR test anymore. They're taking one at home. Um, and that our hospitalizations and deaths, you know, across the state look like they're going down a little bit, which is good. 
We do have um, almost all of our health district is in what the CDC considers a high level of community transmission, um, which the CDC recommends in that situation that everyone wear masks indoors and that people stay home when they're sick and, you know, take extra precautions if they're at higher risk. So we know though that, um, that people aren't paying as much attention to those, um, those, those change weekly. So we know that people are not always thinking about going to those for um, making decisions in their daily life like they used to. So it's really just at this point, um, the best advice is to make sure that you're fully vaccinated and boosted and to stay home when you're sick. Um, you know, it's, it's great to wear a mask when there's high transmission, that's really going to help, um, you know, prevent you from spreading something if you've got it or help prevent you from getting sick, you know, wear a high quality mask. But at this point, really, we, we encourage people to get vaccinated and boosted and please, please stay home when you're sick. And of course, if you are sick, take a test to see if it's COVID or just allergies or something else going on. Well, amen to COVID fatigue. And it's interesting that you say that we're at a high level. And again, it doesn't seem to be resonating. You rarely see people with masks indoors at grocery stores. And oh, that's about the only place I go. And I usually have on my mask and, you know, sometimes the only person. Let's get a little more specific about what you know about the numbers in this area. Like how many people do we have in the hospital? How many deaths in recent week or weeks? We don't have the numbers. I, I, did, I don't have the numbers right now of the people that are in the hospital today. That's, um, that's kind of some of those changes is that some of the things that were being reported um, daily or at the district level or, um, you know, from the hospital level, a lot of those things just aren't being reported in the same way that they were six to 12 months ago. Um, as we sort of move into COVID being a more um, permanent and regular part of our lives, that some of the things that were being reported out in the way that they were, were part of um, requirements from the General Assembly or the governor as um, relating to the states of emergency. So some of those things have been phased out. So we do know that like overall, those numbers are down a little bit, um, but we don't have those same daily reports like we used to get of these are the specific number of people in the hospital, in the ICU awaiting you know, test results, that sort of thing. Anything specific you could give us on that? The, the most recent week, how many people? But it's not information that's getting reported out in that same way anymore. Well, that's just horrible <laughs> because it, it that's, that's what made, you, made us take it seriously. When I knew yeah. that in the hospital two uh, or 10 minutes down the road, there were five people or 15 people in ICU, that's what made it more real. Right. The good news, the, the silver lining of those changes is that the reason we've been able to implement those changes, the reason those changes have been implemented is because the um, number of severe cases of COVID, of hospitalizations, of deaths is down um, to a lower level. And it is not such a crisis point for the healthcare system like it was before. And that's really thanks to, um, you know, the vaccinations, but of course, also the treatments we have, like um, the antiviral medications like Paxlovid, um, which is another important reason to get tested if you're having symptoms so that you can start that medicine early, just like Tamiflu needs to be started quickly. If you have the flu, um, medications like Paxlovid can be started quickly and they can really reduce the severity of symptoms and they're keeping people out of the hospital and they're keeping people um, from being, you know, seriously ill. So we have a lot of 
different tools in our toolkit than we did, um, again, even, even like six to eight months ago with some of those antiviral medications. So it's really um, a different situation in responding to the disease than it was before when we didn't have some of those things. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the topic of Paxlovid because I've got to tell you my personal contact with COVID, I still knock on wood, have not gotten it. And of course I'm vaccinated and boosted, but so was my husband and he got it and had it pretty bad for a couple of days. His blood oxygen level got so low. We were thinking we might have to take him to the hospital. And yeah. here's what happened. He was in contact with his uh, primary medical care provider and did not get prescribed Paxlovid. Why in the world would not everybody be prescribed Paxlovid if they were in contact with a healthcare provider? Isn't that basic now? Well, it's definitely much more widespread. I don't know the specifics of, you know, I'm not a doctor, so uh, I don't know why doctors do and don't make certain prescribing decisions with those patients, but it is much more available and it's definitely something that's good for people to ask about. Um, sometimes, like I said, it, it's important that you take it within a certain time period of being of your symptom onset. So if you, for example, um, on day seven, were really sick and you went to your doctor, well, it kind of needs to be started earlier in the process. So they may say to you, there's not going to be any benefit from Paxlovid at this point. So we're not going to prescribe it, but it's definitely a good thing for people to be aware of, to, to proactively ask about um, for their doctors to prescribe as well. All right. Well, I won't go any into any further detail on his situation, but just to remind people, ask about Paxlovid specifically. We didn't know the name of the drug. We knew there was something and uh, the, it just wasn't offered. So Paxlovid is what you might want to ask for if you come down with COVID. The newest area of COVID treatment, I think, is with young children. Is, is something's changed recently with vaccinations or am I a little late on the uptake on that story? Well, pretty recently. Um, the Back in, gosh, I think it was, it was about two months ago. Um, that that um, vaccinations were approved for um, children six months and up. So uh, we do have vaccinations available now for that younger group of children that was our last group that was not eligible for a vaccine. So, you know, the great news is that parents have the option to protect their children with the COVID vaccine if they'd like now. And there's um, Pfizer and Moderna were recently approved for those different age groups. Um, a bunch of of new approvals came through for the various age groups. So parents have the choice now of looking at a Moderna or a Pfizer vaccine for those different age groups, um, you know, based on their specific child situation and what they think is best for them. What do we know about the vaccination rates in general with younger children or anybody in our region? Um, so the vaccine in our vaccination rates in our area continue to be low compared to um, for, you know, for most of our localities are lower than compared to the rest of the state. And what we've kind of seen with each subsequent age group that gets approval is that those rates are, are a little bit lower. So our rates of, um, you know, uh, teenagers are not as high as adults. Our rates of children five to 12 are not as high as our teens and our rates of under five are not as high as our, you know, next group of kids. But again, that's, um, it's also relatively short time period since they've, um, been approved. And I think there's certainly plenty of parents that might have questions or, you know, I'm going to wait till my child's well visit in the fall to ask the pediatrician about this. Um, especially if they've already had COVID, um, they might not 
see it as, a, as, as an urgent of a need as it was before. So it might be something, you know, they just prefer to wait and talk to the pediatrician next time they go in. What are the time periods that you believe you might have some immunity if you've already, if you've just had COVID? Well, it's, that's a great question. And I wish I knew a better answer to it um, because the frustrating thing about COVID is it just keeps changing and it it won't just settle down and stay the same. Um, So it does seem like some of these newest variants, um, especially the BA5 that are circulating, you might not have as good a protection as you did. You might have almost no protection um, from prior immunity um, or from prior immunity from prior illness. Um, the vaccine still seems to be preventing against severe illness or death. But, you know, of course, as we've all seen, a lot of people are getting COVID right now or have recently. Um, so we know that it's not protecting against symptomatic illness um, like it like it did um right after the vaccines were rolled out and we didn't have these different variants. So I don't know um, the general guidance, kind of when you look at the CDC guidance of, well, it'll ask you, have you had COVID within the last you know 90 days or so? So that's kind of the metric everybody's working for that you at least have probably a couple months um, that you can bank on. But again, with this new variant, it seems like maybe that, that doesn't hold anymore. So, so your <laughs> primary recommendation is just what we hear all the time, be vaccinated, get vaccinated. So Brianne, that comes under your category. So you need to be out knocking on doors with your little needle in your hand saying, I need to vaccinate you. What are you doing as a health district to try to increase the rate of vaccinations? So we have run ourselves absolutely ragged over the last uh, year and a half to try and get vaccination rates up in our area. We have had mobile clinics. We have partnered with um, different different community groups to provide incentives, you know, free baseball tickets or insurance companies have provided gift cards, that sort of thing. Um, you know, we've, we've taken mobile clinics to every, every location we can think of in our district, um, you know, to make sure everybody has the opportunity. We've done a lot of, um, direct community outreach. We continue to do that community outreach, but, um, you know, at this point we've, we've done what we can to take the vaccine to people. And, uh, we certainly always have it available at our local health departments. And, you know, when we go out to community events, festivals, things like that, that we're at, we take the COVID vaccine with us and we're always thrilled to, to vaccinate people. But, um, you know, that's, that's a choice that they have to make for themselves at this point. It's we've, we've done our very best to get that message out there. With mobile clinics, you come pretty close to knocking on doors. What do you mean a mobile clinic? Is it a van that you travel around in or you go set up at specific locations? Yeah, I actually um, pitched the idea of like an ice cream truck model where we just go down the street and um, that did not get, (laughs) nobody agreed with that idea. (laughs) But what we typically, and we're not doing the mobile clinics um, really right now, that was kind of a project that we did primarily last year. Um, But we would take uh, small vans, yep, and we would go and set up at different areas in the community and uh, well, sometimes we took small vans. Sometimes we took our large mobile health unit, which is um, a converted RV, and it's got some, you know, uh, family planning clinic room and stuff. So that's big. Um, but then we just have a space set up where people can come and sit down and get their vaccine and sit and wait for 15 minutes and carry on with their day. Well, that's terrific. And I'm sorry, the people you work with just we need to have a talk with them. They rejected <laughs> the ice cream truck idea. Come on now. I know it was such a great idea. <laughs> it was a great idea. <laughs> All right. Anything else that you want to add about COVID before we move on to something else? I don't think so. What about flu? Flu's coming up or flu's here. Yeah, it's been a really weird flu season. Um, I think probably because we had 
COVID mitigations for so long into the flu season. So we didn't see flu activity. And then we saw uh, flu activity start late, like late spring. Like we're still seeing flu activity right now. And normally we've not seen flu activity for like four or five months. And so it's very weird. So we'll, We'll just sort of roll into next flu season without ever really stopping this one, I think. So definitely, as always, remains really important for people to get their flu shot, especially people who are at higher risk of severe illness. So young kids, older folks, um, immunocompromised people. Once again, get vaccinated. Speaking yes. of vaccinations, I heard that there has been a case or a few cases of polio that has reemerged. Yes, yes, I have heard that there's some more polio coming back and, or not coming, you know, there's some more polio cases. Um, you know, certainly we, we have these vaccine preventable diseases and it's, it's just so critical that we maintain high levels of, um, of vaccination coverage for these so that these devastating diseases don't get back into our community. We've, everybody worked so hard as the whole society to, to drive these down to the levels that they're at. And it would just be such a shame for us to see things like measles or polio make a raging comeback because of the, you know, the horrible implications that can have for everyone's health. But Brianne, we know that you're trying to inject a chip into us when you give us a vaccination, aren't you? Come on. There are, there are no chips in anything. <laughs> I think I said this last time I talked to you, but if you ever go to a vet's office, ask them if you can see what a microchip looks like in a needle, because it's about the size of a grain of rice. So there is no way that that would fit into anything uh, that you're getting a vaccine from. So Brianne Forbes Hubbard, population health manager of Mount Rogers Health District, is trying to convince us that she really cares about our health. What is your background that made you want to work with the health care of people? You know, I just always had an interest. My mom was a nurse growing up and I always thought I'd be interested in doing something health related, but um, I'm not as tough as she is. And I, I was not cut out for direct patient care. So uh, this seemed like just a great way that I could work with the community partners and um, work with all the different stakeholders in our area to make some, you know, improvements in everybody's health, long-term and short-term. Tell us something recently that you can remember that made you feel good about what you're doing. Uh, well, just this morning, actually, um, I'm part of a group called the Appalachian Center for Hope, and we are working, we've been working for a couple of years to try and get some residential substance abuse treatment facilities in our area. Uh, it's based, it's going to be based in Smith County. Um, and we just, we've, we've had some great news with moving forward with getting, you know, a, a building and the renovation and some funding and. Um, you know, it looks like we're going to um, have some more opportunities for some funding to bring these services down to our area. So that's really great news. Well, that's another big topic, isn't it? You're talking about addiction. Yes. And so when we see a residential treatment coming to our area, we can think of you. Yeah, it's, it's a great thing to be able to bring that treatment option here so that people don't have to go so far from their support networks when they when they want to get treatment, when they're ready for treatment. Well, we're delighted to have you on the show and to have you share this information and your concern about the health of people in the Mount Rogers Health District, the eight localities around us. Final advice to people about monkeypox, COVID, flu, anything else? Well, I'd say mostly just get your vaccines, make sure to wash your hands and uh, to avoid any you know, close personal contact with someone who's infected with monkeypox. And that should, that should steer you well for a little while. We are in a high level of contagion. What about masks? 
masks are definitely recommended by the CDC when you're in a high level of community transmission. So especially if you're somebody who's got risk factors, or especially if you, you know, don't want to be out for, you know, five days homesick, if you've got some big event coming up, you know, definitely masking is the way to go right now. And high quality masks like KN95s, those are much more effective than cloth masks or even surgical masks at this point. High levels we have in this area. We need to wear masks. We need to be vaccinated. So says Brianne Forbes Hubbard. Thank you so much for being with us, Brianne. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks above all to the listeners for tuning in to 90.7. If you missed part of this show and want to go back and hear it or other shows that we've done before, you can go to wehcfm.com and you can find our archives and podcasts, or you can just try Googling WEHC This Conversation, which is over the air Wednesdays at 6, Sundays at 2. Thanks again to Brianne. Thanks again to the listeners, and please stay tuned.